0: Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. The Word of God. Author of life, we thank you for your words, and we ask that your Spirit would be with us this morning as we reflect on them, so that we might be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Arguably, no one other than Christ has had a more lasting impact on the church than Paul. And yet, we are reminded in today's scripture lesson that Paul was not always a part of the Jesus-following movement. In fact, the story of Paul's revelation begins when he's still an enemy of the movement. Breathing threats and murder, Paul sets out for Damascus to round up any who might be following the way of Christ And it's on his way to Damascus that something miraculous happens. Paul is surrounded by a flash of light and he hears the voice of Jesus, the Christ. As if in a flash of lightning, Paul's life is forever changed by a personal encounter with our Lord. The thing that I noticed reading through the story this time is the parallel between Jesus' death and Paul's transformation. Jesus died, and three days later, he rose again to triumph over death. Paul is struck by light and sent into darkness for three days without food or drink. Then, after those three days, Paul has his sight restored and is dead to the life that he once lived. Paul's experience of revelation may be the most well-known experience of conviction and repentance in all of Christian history. For this reason, it's also come to be seen as paradigmatic for how people expect the experience of conversion to occur. I know I've sat before boards and been asked when my moment of conversion was, as if I should have a single, crystalline moment like Paul. But As I imagine the case is for many of you who've been raised in the church, I can't point to a single event as having been that one turning point in my life. I did not have a road to Damascus moment. And in fact, I think we do a disservice to Paul when we boil his experience down to that single event as well. So often the story of Paul's experience Is told in a way that leaves him blind on the Damascus Road but when we read the story in its entirety we see that his experience of repentance is only completed in community it's only when the disciple Ananias is sent by the Lord to find Paul that his story is able to find a resolution and it's worth noting that Ananias is not excited about going to find Paul God gives him a mission, and Ananias responds by saying, Yeah, I don't know about that, God. You know that this is the guy who's been persecuting us, right? You know that he came here to bind us and drag us back to Jerusalem, right? But God insists, I know what he has done, but he will be an instrument of my name. And so Ananias goes out to find this man who's tortured and killed members of the Jesus movement, and when Ananias finds him, he's like a helpless baby, unable to comprehend the world around him, reliant on others to help him get where he's going, and unable to sustain himself. Then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Ananias removes the scales from Paul's eyes and restores him to a new life. The rest, as they say, is history. Paul would grow in confidence and authority in the Jesus movement to the point that his opinion would be valued by the apostles during the Council of Jerusalem. He would become the messenger to the nations, helping to spread the gospel around the Mediterranean. He would become such an influential church planter that his letters of guidance formed the basis for the earliest Christian canon. And none of that would have happened had there not been someone to assist him in being born to a new life in Christ. Anselm of Canterbury speaks of Paul as a mother to the church, but Ananias is the midwife who ensured Paul's new birth was successful. Ananias, who welcomed Paul into new life, gets pushed to the sidelines of history after dealing with the messiness of the church's birth. So here's the thing that I'm driving at. Paul would not have been who he was without someone to raise and nurture him in the faith. And it's also worth stressing that Ananias was not excited to help Paul. He knew Paul's reputation, he knew what Paul stood for, and he wanted nothing to do with it. But sometimes, it's exactly the people with whom we disagree the most that also help us to grow the most. And as I reflected on the relationship of Paul and Ananias, I was reminded of a few of the relationships that I've experienced in my growth as a Christian. I thought first of my childhood pastor who taught me to ask questions of my faith. And in a community where faith and science were viewed as antagonistic toward one another, he helped me to see how they're mutually supportive of one another. Instead of teaching me to have a faith that accepted answers blindly, he taught me to believe in a God that welcomes questions and doubts. As I've grown older, I've learned that we have some pretty fundamental disagreements about how to bring about the kingdom of God. This doesn't mean that the things he taught me no longer matter. In fact, it's because of those very things that I'm able to respect the impact that he had on my life, while also knowing that it's okay for us to challenge one another. Because as we discuss our differences, we push each other to be better. We're made to think more deeply about what we believe, why we believe it, and whether that belief withstands scrutiny. My reflections also called to mind my brief interactions with Reverend Jeff Greenway. Reverend Greenway is one of the leading figures in the Wesleyan Covenant Association. In that role, he helped to back the so-called traditionalist plan that was passed at the recent general conference. Suffice, Suffice it to say that we are as far apart on the issues of inclusion and ordination as any two individuals can be. Nonetheless, his church is about a half hour from where I went to seminary and he teaches courses on evangelism for the course of study program that local licensed pastors have to complete. So my professor invited him to come speak to our evangelism class and it turns out that on matters of discipleship there is much that Reverend Greenway and I have in common. In fact, the topic of his discussion with us was much the same as the topic of this sermon this morning, that we have a responsibility to grow and mature in our faith once we experience the new birth. And just as I was able to grow from that discussion, my classmates and I were able to grow in pushing Reverend Greenway to explain how his vision for the church connected with the idea of radical hospitality that was central to our learning for the semester. It gave us the chance to apply the concepts that we'd been learning in the classroom and connect them with the practice of ministry in a church setting. Here's the truth about growing and maturing in our faith. We need someone to help us take those first steps into a new life, but we also have to have the courage to form our own identity. We have to not just mimic the words that we hear our teachers say. We have to learn how to be in conversation with them. There's a scene in Star Wars The Last Jedi. See, I told the kids you could always connect something. Where Luke Skywalker struggles with the expectations of being a teacher. He's counseled by Yoda who says, Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. If wisdom was merely about mimicry, there would be no growth. If Paul had not pushed back against the other apostles at Jerusalem, who knows what the mission to the nations would have looked like? If Wesley hadn't submitted to be more vile and gone to preach in the fields, who knows what path the church in the Anglo world would have taken? None of us has all the answers, But if God is good to us, then hopefully we can be like Ananias and contribute to the birth of something beyond our wildest dreams. Amen. Please pray with me. God, help us to be the ones that others grow beyond. Help us to tend to the seeds of faith that we plant in the community. And let us be nurtured even as we nurture others. There is no holiness but social holiness. So let us all grow in grace together. Amen.